0: different amendment periods for different situations. A lot of the time, outside of fraud, evasion, or provisions with an unlimited amendment period, we're talking about either a two- or four-year amendment period from the date of the assessment. Regulations put in in 2022 effectively change the position to be four years for many situations. You're listening to Australia's podcast
1: for accountants, tax talks, the podcast to grow your firm welcome to episode 411 of text talks this is heide robson and thank you to bgl for sponsoring this episode so here we are in 2024 i hope you had a good break and a nice start to the new year maybe you're still away on holidays right now and we'll listen to this later either way Welcome back. Oh, it might be either way. I'm never sure whether it's either or either. But in any way, welcome back. This will be a great year with lots of new insights. As you already heard, BGL is Talks' new sponsor for 2024. And I'm really excited about that since we have been using CAS360 and SimpleFund360 for years. And I actually did one of Talks' very first interviews in the BGL office on Horson Road in Brighton East with Ron Lash. Have a listen to episode 27 about BGL's story and also episode 104 about the accountant's exemption with Ron Lash. So I'm really excited about BGL coming on board. But now to today's topic, amendment periods. Amendment periods are important for our work. I'm not telling you anything new. Whenever we have a new client with a dubious tax history or we come across a forgotten issue, There is usually a look at the calendar and a look at the date the relevant return was lodged to see whether the amendment period is still open. And if it isn't open, then of course, you know, you can't lodge an amendment unless you apply for the commissioner's discretion or one of the exceptions applies. But these amendment periods, what are they now after the publication of new regulations In 2023, this is what Andrew Henshaw, Velocity Legal in Melbourne, will discuss with you in this episode. If I just very quickly try to summarize the amendment periods we have been dealing with so far... For individuals, it starts at two years after date of assessment. So it's always about the date of assessment. So for individuals, it's two years after the date of assessment. But it is four years if it is not a small business entity per Division 328. And I actually will need to ask you what the threshold is because I didn't look that up. I always feel scared of looking into the law. So it's... Two years, but four years if this individual is running a business or is part of a business that is not a small business entity. And I think it is also four years if the individual is the potential beneficiary of a trust. But I will confirm that with you in a minute. So it is the size of the business that matters and not the legal status. So it doesn't matter whether that's a sole trader or a company or a trust. It's just the size of the business. And that's basically individuals. And then companies and trusts are the other way around in terms of that they start with four years. But if the company or trust runs a small business entity per division 328, then the amendment period goes down To two years, and then there are also some other quirky things. So, for example, if there is a scheme or arrangement to obtain an income tax benefit, then the amendment period changes from two years to four years, which doesn't really make any difference for companies and trusts that are not small business anyway. And then also, the commissioner can extend by court order or by asking the taxpayer's consent, or if the taxpayer has applied for private ruling, then the commissioner can also extend. Did I get that roughly right of how the amendment period has been so far without the changes that are potentially coming?
0: Yeah, broadly, there's a few comments that I'll make around that. But broadly, you're right. And it's all about working out the time period from the notice of assessment. And your client will be in one of, of two situations. Either they will be wanting a tax return to be changed, usually because there will be a refund. But in most cases, it's the second. It's wanting sort of finality on a particular year if there has been an issue with the quantum of tax and how it's been characterised in that year. So where you're in that first situation, you can still request the commissioner exercise the discretion to to amend anyway. When you're in the second position, you really sort of want that's sort of going to be the end of the story unless there's a way that the commissioner is still within time and there are various provisions which have an unlimited time period. So for example, Section 100A is an example of that. Another example is any provision has an unlimited time period if the commissioner is of the view and forms the opinion that there has been fraud or evasion on behalf of the taxpayer. But outside that, then it's either two or four years To pick up on your point around who is small, the qualifying criteria is either being a small business entity or a medium business entity. So that means that that definition covers turnover up to $50 million. So it's pretty high for a two year amendment period. In relation to a person who is a beneficiary of a trust, that person will be subject to a four-year amendment period unless that trust is a small business entity or a medium business entity.
1: Unless the trust has a turnover of less than 50 million Australian dollars.
0: Yeah, but the trouble with trusts is not only does it have to have a turnover of less than 50 million, it also needs to be a business entity, meaning that it needs to be carrying on a business. So in the situation where the trust, or you've got an individual that are a beneficiary of a discretionary trust, and the discretionary trust is very clearly carrying on a business, as in it's a, it's a trading trust, then yes, that trust is going to be a small or medium business entity. But if the trust activities are passive investment activities, then... It's more doubtful whether or not that trust would actually meet the definition. Or yes, it has turnover less than $50 million, but is that trust actually carrying on a business?
1: Basically, we start with four years for any potential beneficiary. And then there are two questions. A, does the trust run a business? And then B, is the uh, turnover less than $50 million? Is, If the answer to these two questions is yes, then the four years changes to two years.
0: Yeah, correct. And there's a number of carve-outs to that, and those carve-outs are growing. So I sort of take the summary position now that everyone's on four years, and it's very limited situations where someone will be on a two-year amendment period, and I'll explain why, and and that's today's topic. So in a previous Tax Talks episode, we did hover off on some of the regulations to... Section 170, and at that time, they were, in summary, relatively limited where they would apply.
1: So, Section 127 sets out the standard rules we just discussed, or does Section 127 have a number of carve-outs?
0: So, Section 170.
1: Oh, 170, sorry. It
0: has a big table in Section 170, Subsection 1, which sets out all different types of situations and all different qualifications. One of the qualification is that it's a circumstance prescribed by the regulations, essentially. So then you've got to go to the regulations to work out what's excluded basically. So we had some draft regulations which were first issued in August 2022 and then they were finalized in around November 2022 and then they're now they're now law so from four periods starting after one July 2021 we're going to need to consider these rules which I'm going to talk about now which generally really limit the situations where a two-year amendment period would apply
1: Can I just ask you about these regulations? Are these regulations just about amendment periods or are they regulations that cover a whole lot of different things?
0: The regulations cover lots of different things. It's the Income Tax Assessment 1936 Act Regulation 2015, which is the instrument, and it covers lots of different things. But one thing it covers is amendment periods.
1: We have the two Income Tax Assessment Acts, we have lots of TRs, TDs, et cetera. And then in addition, we also now have these regulations that basically became law in November, 2022.
0: Yeah, correct. Correct. If you're dealing and looking at a period before 1 July, 2021, so up until the income year ended 30 June, 2021, you won't be dealing with these regulations. And you might under those previous rules, not be excluded, so you might have a two-year amendment period under those rules. But after that date, you may be in a four-year period, and other situations you could move from four to two, two to four. It could be different year on year. In sort of an extreme example.
1: So why did they issue the regulations? Why didn't they just change original rules?
0: Look, I think it's probably just because it's easier to do the regulations rather than the, the the rules itself, because the rules itself allow it to be done through regulations.
1: Yeah, it's easier for the lawmaker, but much harder for people who are reading the um, law, because then it means you need to constantly jump between cross references between different legacies, you know, between different documents.
0: Oh, absolutely, it's a, it's a nightmare to actually try to jump through this stuff. But um,
1: <laughs>
0: yes, yeah, it's a nightmare, but um, it is what it is. It is what it is, I guess. The purpose of today, I guess, is to run through…
1: The regulations.
0: Yeah, and, and what's actually in there and what's what's not. And they are pretty broad. So, I might just jump into those.
1: So, how would you quote these regulations? Would you say Regulations 2015 or would you say Regulations 2022?
0: 2015. So, there's another… Essentially, the, the later regulations amend the earlier ones.
1: So, it's the Regulations 2015.
0: That's what we'll go through.
1: Is it going to be painful or is it going to be light and easy?
0: Oh, look, it's it's reasonably painful. So the first one is if a transaction results in an amount of $200,000 being included in the assessable income of anyone or being included as a deduction for anyone or it's a CGT event, with that same $200,000 figure, then there'll be a four year period.
1: Okay. And we see CGT event, you mean then capital proceeds? Yeah. Yeah. Are uh, 250,000 or the cost base is 250,000, then it's four years. Yeah. Sorry,
0: 200,000.
1: Uh, are 200,000, uh, not two hundred fifty. Yes. Okay, good. Sorry. So this was point one. How many points do you think there are? Are we talking?
0: There's about 10 different points. That is for situations where the parties themselves are related to each other in the sense that they are affiliates or connected with each other.
1: So not every transaction, only if it's a transaction between related parties. Yeah,
0: yeah correct. So if, if the transaction is between related parties, so either if they weren't dealing with each other at arm's length, which was already in there, or even if they are dealing at arm's length, it results in a $200,000 or more figure then it's four years. So if you're doing things related parties, it's, you're, you're looking at a four-year amendment period. Next one is about foreign source income. And what that looks at is it looks at, again, $200,000 figure. If the taxpayer or their affiliate or someone connected with them derives income of $200,000 or more, which is from a foreign source, then it'll be a four-year period as well.
1: That applies to residents as well as non-residents.
0: Yeah, anyone. The idea with that being that, and the idea with all of these carve-outs being that these are types of taxpayers who have more complicated affairs and therefore we need more time to check that everything's okay. You asked about non-residents, their own category.
1: So this one only applies to residents.
0: Well... It apl- that applies to everyone, but there's a separate category which says that if the assessed entity is a non-resident at any time in the assessment year, then you're subject to a four-year period. So it's a moot point. For, for, for a non-resident, You're it's four years anyway. So I guess to put them together, if you're a non-resident, it's four years. If you're a resident with foreign source income, not only for that person, but someone who's in that taxpayer's group then and that's 200,000 or more then it's it's 4 years as well.
1: And so both 1 and 2 only apply if there is a transaction with an affiliate. So if it's 100% with the third party then you don't need to worry about it. What number is the uh, if non-resident it's 4 years. When was that going to come in? Was that going to be number 3 or?
0: Yes, yeah, yep, yeah, yep.
1: Yeah. Okay, good. So we've already covered number 3 then as well. If somebody's a non-resident, they always have 4 years.
0: Yeah, correct. Correct. There are ones dealing with a taxpayer subject to the diverted profits tax or uh, multinational anti-avoidance law. I'm not really going to cover those because I would think that entities that are subject to those rules, okay, they're in anyway, but they're probably going to have turnover of more than 50 million anyway, just because of how those rules actually operate.
1: Yes. And just one thing to clarify, in point one and two, it had to be an affiliate we, d- we are dealing with. But for no- point number three about non-residents, you don't need to have an affiliate. Any non-resident, no matter who they are trading with, has a four-year amendment period. Correct?
0: Yes. Yes. So to summarize where we're at so far, if you're dealing at arms, if you're not dealing at arm's length, parties are four years. If they are dealing at arm's length, but it's two hundred thousand dollars or more. Your are four years. If you derive foreign source income of $200,000 or more, it's four years. If you're a non-resident, it's four years. The next one is to do with how many entities are related to the taxpayer. And somewhat a bit arbitrary, I guess, but what it says is, if the total numbers of entities that are connected or an affiliate Of the assessed entity is 10 or more, then it's four years as well. And that, those, the connected with an affiliate goes back to sub, um, there's a division 328 uh, and those concepts. So, yes. If you've got 10 trusts and one person controlling all of them, then you'll have a group of 10.
1: Yes. So basically a complicated structure will always have four years because it takes yes. <laughs> it takes a while to understand it. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. The next one is for R&D.
1: Now, before we talk about the amendment periods for R&D deductions and the R&D tax offset, here's a quick word from our sponsor BGL. Hey, tax
0: talkers. Are you tired of manual identity verification processes? Introducing BGLID, your fast, secure, automated identity verification solution. BGLID seamlessly integrates with BGL's CAS 360, SimpleFund 360, and SimpleInvest 360 solutions, with no setup or training for existing clients. Don't get left behind as regulations tighten. With straightforward pricing, no minimum commitments, and instant results, BGLID is the solution for you. To learn more, visit bglcorp.com forward slash tax talks. Next one is for R&D and pretty simple. If you claim R&D, then you're subject to four years.
1: And just a tax deduction for R&D or the uh, R&D income tax offset, you know, the special R&D concession?
0: I believe it's for both. So either you claimed it or you may be entitled to... The deductions and recruitments and adjustments and so forth so phrase a bit more broadly because it says the assessed entity has claimed the tax offset or might be able to claim might be able to deduct an amount or has an amount that might be included in accessible income so it's really if you're doing anything related to r&d whatsoever then It's a four-year period.
1: When you apply for the offset, that's clear. You either apply or you don't apply. So that's, and you would know, you know when you apply. So then you know that you have the four years. But just the could apply for a deduction, that is tricky because the line between R&D and other expenses is not a clear black and white. It's fuzzy. It's gray. You know, something might not be R&D and then slowly edges into R&D. Yeah, but the rule stands. It's just not as Clear cut as it sounds at
0: Yeah, yeah. The next one is is for certain CGT rollovers, and for some reason it's limited to certain rollovers. But it's limited to Division six one five, which is your interposition of a company. Interposition of a company with with um, multiple shareholders. Subdivision one twenty six B, which is the interposition of a company between partners of a partnership, and a de-merger under Division 125. So those three, if those have been chosen, then there will also be a four-year period.
1: But that is very much your territory. The normal tax agent doesn't see that much, but of course you see these things a lot more because tax agents usually would involve a tax lawyer when they face something like this, correct?
0: Yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah. And the final one on this list is if you had a capital gain or loss that was disregarded under Section 85510, which is about not of foreign residents disregarding capital gains and capital losses. Which is a bit funny that that's there because there's also there's already an exclusion for non-resident entities. I guess someone might be possibly a temporary resident.
1: Can you tell me what this 855-10 is about?
0: It's about uh, disregarding capital gains from sale for non-residents selling non-taxable Australian property. So shares in a company, for example.
1: Okay. You have a non-resident and they're selling non-tap. Yeah, and it's directly held; it's not through a trust. Yep. Then under section eight five five ten, that doesn't that doesn't concern Australia.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Essentially, and getting back to the rationale behind all of this, there was this creation of this medium business entities category, and an expansion of the two year rule for those entities. Treasuries realized <laughs> that. What that's going to do is actually make the ACO have to do their work a lot quicker for a lot of taxpayers, and, and hence why the decision had been made that, look, it's probably not appropriate for anyone with complicated affairs or international tax dealings, essentially.
1: I find four years reasonable anyway. You know, two years is very short.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think so. I think the practical reality is for anyone who's having to have meaningful engagement with the tax system other than just lodging a return as a salary and And wage earner, then you're probably subject to a four-year period. Business owners, complicated groups, etc.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good rule of thumb. Unless you are an employee and your only worry is work-related expenses, then you have two years, but if you have anything else, you're connected to a trust, you run a business, you're affiliated with somebody who runs a business, then you're probably better off assuming you have four years.
0: Yeah, it probably would be easier from a drafting perspective basically to just say that if you're an employee, that's the sole source of income and your deductions are limited to sort of workplace expenses, then you'll be on two year. But otherwise, you'll be on a four-year because that's practically what it now sort of is.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. It would have been two sentences that way around. Yeah. Four years unless all you have is employment income. Yeah. Now, you said 10 points. I have seven so far.
0: Sorry, I Um, may have uh, (laughs) expanded us a little bit. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, we have transactions over 200000 We have foreign source income. We have non-residents. We have related entities, more than 10 related entities. We have R&D, number five. Then number six is CGT rollover in Division 615 and Subdivision 126B. I actually didn't get the third one.
0: 615, Division 125, and Subdivision 126B. And then the last license was disregarding capital gain or loss due to the, non, the non-TAP rules. There was also another one for, for taxpayers subject to the Diverted Profits Tax or Mal. But I, I I sort of discounted that one because I think they're probably subject to it anyway, uh, four years anyway.
1: Yeah, and math painful. painful. Yep, yep. That's a real international text specialist. Good, perfect. I have to say this was quite painless. I mean, because we are basically done, aren't we?
0: It's ba- yeah, it's painless in that it's basically just assume it's four years, possibly before 1 July 21, it's two years. And as I said at the start, this will usually come up because either there's an issue previously with something and it's been identified or identified in some sense, whether by the tax office or by the tax agent and wondering what you can do about it or should do about it. Or the other situation is just you're advising a client in the course of your tax return lodgements and they, they ask the question, oh, well, you know, what does it look like? What if the ATO disagree, etc.? So, I think the it reality is. is you say four years.
1: Is it possible that the ATO would assume four years anyway? Because a lot of this, the ATO doesn't know. The ATO doesn't know whether you're the potential beneficiary of a trust. The ATO doesn't know whether you know you're really not connected to a business that is that qualifies, that has turnover under 50 million, you know, all this. My gut feeling is in the portal, etc. the ATO will assume that the amendment period is four years, don't you think?
0: Well, yeah, I think so. I think that's probably fair enough. And I think then it would be the onus really on the taxpayer to say, no, it's not four years. It's actually two years because for all of these different exclusions, none of them apply and therefore it's two years. In summary, there's different amendment periods for different situations. A lot of the time, outside of fraud, evasion, or provisions with an unlimited amendment period, we're talking about either a two- or four-year amendment period from the date of the assessment. Regulations put in in 2022 effectively change the position to be four years for many situations. Any sort of complex group, international dealing of significance will have a four-year amendment period. These rules start from 1 July 2021, so you may be in a situation where you've gone from a two-year period to a four-year period. And I think the, the final takeaway point is assume that there is four-year amendment period rather than a two-year amendment period and work. And then, if, if it's relevant, work backwards from there.
1: Andrew Henshaw of Velocity Legal in Melbourne. So assume an amendment period of four years, unless it is a simple ITR you want to change. In the next episode, episode 412, let's do a pipeline walkthrough with James Carey of Prime Partners in Sydney. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to BGL for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.